If you struggle with food addiction, you're going to want to listen to this episode with Dr. Vera Tarman as we discuss sugar addiction, carb addiction, and how to overcome it for good. Let's do this. today's world 2021 2015 2000 you know the food industry has um manufactured foods primarily uh, processed carbs but you know there's also processed meats and and whatnot that are not healthy either but they manufactured them to be addictive basically i mean they use the word craveability you know how do we make our foods craveable we should just call it addictive so just by virtue of the food industry targeting sort of neurochemistry in our brain in our reward pathway in our addictive pathway this this is how any food becomes addictive and how anybody becomes not exactly a food addict but at risk I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp podcast, best-selling author and founder of Keto Camp. Today's episode is a very important one. As you might have seen, a lot of people struggle with addiction. You might be one of them. I know I was for the first 24 years of my life. I had addiction to carbohydrates, sugar, video games, drugs, toxic environment, toxic thoughts, and other lifestyle, poor lifestyle addictions. And when we fast forward to this day, we see a lot of people who struggle with food addiction. And that's mostly carbohydrates and sugar, but it's just this nonstop eating. And it could lead to things like binge eating, obesity, anorexia, bulimia, overeating, depression, suicide, and a lot of bad things. So I bring on the one of the world leaders on food addiction, Dr. Vera Tarman. And she's gonna talk about the inspiration behind her book, Food Junkies, her podcast, Food Junkies, and how she became an addiction specialist. She's seen people with all sorts of addiction, from alcohol to cocaine to cigarettes to marijuana. But one of the biggest things she's found was sugar. They would drop a smoking addiction or a marijuana addiction, and they would replace it with sugar. And she talks about why sugar is so addictive and how food can become so addictive We get into her book, Food Junkies, which is an amazing book. She talks about the science of the brain and how it actually really is, we're hardwired to seek out these pleasure-seeking foods and how these companies know that. And they have amazing scientists and amazing engineers that craft these frankenfoods that light up the receptor sites in our brain to crave these foods and want more and eat it all the time. They are brilliant scientists that get paid good money to find out these pathways So we want to be aware of what's going on. We talk about the negative impacts on your brain when you consume sugar, the endorphins, the dopamine, the addiction of going through bags of potato chips. 
We talk about the different stages of food addiction. That was one of my favorite parts of the interview. How fasting could actually help with addiction to food. Why Dr. Vera is a massive fan of eating more protein. I always talk about protein and how it takes three to four weeks to kick your sugar addiction. That should be so inspiring for you if you have a sugar addiction right now, because in about 21 to 28 days, you could overcome that with the tips mentioned in this podcast. And then she talks about why. And we'll get into ways to help when you know you're a food addict and what to do, how to acknowledge it, and the first steps to take. So I cannot wait to bring her on the show. We had a great discussion. I think this is going to make a big difference for you. And if you know somebody who has a food addiction right now, this is going to be an episode you're going to want to share with them. Before I bring on Dr. Vera, I want to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. Five-star review from IB Mom, titled Good Variety Keto. Ben has great guests and gives lots of varied information on keto plants, intermittent fasting, and is passionate about sharing and helping folks to achieve health. I'm looking forward to learning more from him in 2021. IB Mom, I'm so grateful that you see me in that light and that you're listening to the show and you're educating yourself. And yes, I want to get you varied information on keto and fasting, and I'm super passionate about it. So thank you so much for that acknowledgement. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. It'll make a big difference for the show. And hey, maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. Just a reminder that my new book, Keto Flex, is out there into the world. It is trending as the number one book in our category. And I'd love for you to get the book if you haven't done so already. The foreword of KetoFlex was written by Dr. Daniel Pampa. It's been endorsed by Dr. Jason Fung, Megan Ramos, Thomas DeLauer, Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Ben Bickman, and many other incredible resources in the keto and fasting space. It's 311 pages of keto gold. I really outline my four-pillar approach to understanding how to follow keto, how to follow fasting for long-term results that stick. Head to ketoflexbook.com to grab it today. It's available on Kindle and paperback, ketoflexbook.com. All right, let's get into this conversation about food addiction with Dr. Vera Tarman. Dr. Vera Tarman is an author, speaker, and food addiction expert. Dr. Vera started Addictions Unplugged in 2008 because she found a need for information on addiction and more specifically, food addiction. The Addictions Unplugged website serves as a portal and discussion forum for medical professionals, frontline addiction workers, and those affected by addiction to reach out to Dr. Tarman and find out the latest information on treatment. Dr. Tarman has been reaching out to the medical and addiction communities through her workshops and speaking engagements. She speaks on topics of the science behind food addiction and why we use food for comfort. She has educated thousands of people across the world and hopes to help all those struggling with food addiction. So without further ado, here is Dr. Vera Tarman. Dr. Vera Tarman, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hello, thank you for asking me to be here. Of course, you're doing such wonderful work and it's an important topic, food addiction, sugar addiction, and we're going to talk all about ways to overcome that. You're going to share, I'm sure, some inspirational stories that you have outlined in your book and some principles. And before we get to all that, I'd love for you to just share your story, how you got involved with what you're doing today. 
Uh, okay, so my story is that I'm a physician here in uh, Toronto, Canada, and I'm primarily a, an addictions physician. And the, specifically, where I work on the continuum of addiction is people who are, who come into treatment into new recovery. So they're coming into a residential setting. They're putting down their alcohol, their cocaine, sometimes even cigarettes and marijuana and you know the whole gamut. And what I saw in my work was people were. Uh, putting down those substances and then picking up the sugar that was all over them. So they were drinking the juice, the pop, the donuts that were, you know, given late at night, uh, the pasta, you know, all the rest of it. And then, you know, within uh, two or three weeks, um, gaining weight and, you know, greatly disturbed about that. I didn't initially really worry too much about, well, I worried about it, but I didn't really think too much about it until I kind of started connecting the dots maybe um, 15 years ago, because I've been in this field for a while now. Uh, where I just saw that that behavior was very much like um, their behavior of eating was very much like their previous behavior of addiction. And I started reading just on my own, just because of my own story, which is uh, what I'm going to get to here in a second, uh, about addiction in general and how it's really all the same thing. And when I actually saw that there was research that substantiated that, I sort of went on the campaign trail, as it were, to speak about it publicly. So that's sort of the professional front of how I got into this. But my personal front is that uh, in my 20s, like so many young women in their 20s in university, I was trying to um, control my weight and found that I got into um, a sort of binge purge cycle. And this was in the uh, 70s and 80s when uh, the whole thing about eating disorder just came on the scene in the psychiatric world, but people weren't really aware of uh, what it was. So I didn't get... Uh, caught in that system because it was just still too new and so I kind of backed off and did my own thing for which I am now grateful for otherwise I would have been caught even today as many people are in the eating disorder world they should be in the food addiction world but that didn't exist then and it barely exists now so anyway there I was trying to sort out my food trying to sort out my weight figuring out a solution after a solution uh, that, that worked for a while and then it didn't work. Nothing was sustainable. And then I came across the, the medical literature where I was talking about, and the two converged about uh, 15 to 20 years ago. And then since then, I've been talking about it. So that's my story. Huh, I love your story. And you're right. It's, it's not spoken about often enough. So we need more Dr. Vera's out there preaching this message. So you noticed that your patients had an addiction for drugs or alcohol, whatever it was, and then what they did was just transfer it to a food addiction. Yes, was it was so obvious to me. And, and for people who are out there in the world and maybe don't know somebody intimately who uses drugs in a really problematic way, they may not see that the behavior is so similar because they don't see the obvious example of it. But once you see one, it's like, oh my God, it looks so much like the other. And then you wrote this book. You decided to write a book. I'm holding it in my hands for those watching on YouTube, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. So why did you decide to write this? That's the second edition, and I wrote the first one about six years ago because I there I was on the campaign trail, as it were, trying to tell people about this. And, I mean, even today, uh, it's still not acknowledged in the DSM-5, which is the psychiatric uh, manual of uh, 
the, the manual of all the sort of psychiatric disorders, it's still not in there. We're trying to get it in there. And so for a doctor to be talking about this, and it's not even in there, uh, it was really hard to get any airtime. So people would just say, well, yeah, who are you? You should write about this. And, you know, I said, writing a book is a lot of work. It's a lot of trouble. It's it's not, you don't just sit down and write it. And uh, But I just kept getting told in order to be heard and taken seriously, you have to write about this. So I did. And then that enabled me to... Um, um, synthesize some of the data that was out there at the time and try to uh, write it in such a way that people could understand. And I was just really, really pleased that, you know, I got a lot of interviews from um, the press and uh, whatnot. And the this, this sort of typical story was that uh, we would sit there at the beginning and the person would be going, come on, how can food be addictive? Come on, everyone has to eat food. But by the end of the interview, they would be going, oh, oh my God, I, you know, I think my wife might be an addict. I think my, I think I might be. And it's, it's sort of like once you start to get what we're really talking about, I think it, it actually um, becomes more evident that how prevalent it is out there. And uh, the book was just, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, a way to get out there and have people discuss this issue. And it was a success because you've been on multiple TV networks and it got this message out there even more. So it was a good idea for you to write it. I know it takes a lot of time to write the book, but I think it was worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. So why is food so addictive? You know, how can food, I should ask the question, how can food become addictive? Yeah. There's another book that just came out now by Michael Moss that's called uh, Hooked, uh, you know, How the Food Giants Hook Us. His book and his original book was a real inspiration for me for my book, because what he talked about was in today's world, 2021, 2015, 2000, you know, the food industry has um, manufactured foods, primarily uh, processed carbs, but, you know, there's also processed meats and, and whatnot that are not healthy either, but they manufactured them to be addictive, basically. I mean, Michael Moss, who's like the guy who's he's not the food industry, but he captures their language and he captures their view. I highly recommend that people read his new book. He says, they use the word craveability. You know, how do we make our foods craveable? We should just call it addictive. So just by virtue of the food industry targeting sort of neurochemistry in our brain, in our reward pathway, in our addictive pathway, this, this is how any food becomes addictive and how anybody becomes not exactly a food addict, but at risk. So some people less so than others. Um, and, you know, how that happens is that, you know, the food industry has figured out what is the reward pathway of just, you know, we are um, primed to like sweet or fat, especially together because they're energy dense. That's just the way we are. I mean, mother's milk, that's what it was. But we're only meant to have so much of that in a healthy way. But so the food industry has taken this sort of natural inclination for, towards uh, energy-dense food and exploded it so that we're like getting bombed on this. And food addiction, diabetes, all the consequences of stuff that you write about that, you, that you're dealing with with your clientele are the consequences of this bomb. And, you know, if we stuck with the, the fruit that's in one or two pieces of fruit a day tops, you know, a little bit of veggies and not the super dense ones, we would be uh, in much better order, but that's not what happens. 
Yeah, there's some really brilliant scientists that are paid some good money to figure out that how to how to activate those uh, those pathways. So, what exactly can you explain what's happening in the brain with these chemicals uh, like dopamine when you're eating these foods that are processed like sugar? That's right. So we have this natural reward center, which is in the limbic system, limbic part of the brain, which is sort of the middle part. I guess we could say that uh, you know if the brain has the reptilian, the mammalian, and the sort of human brain. And this would be in the mammalian brain. So it's in the part of the brain that where our survival instinct is and our emotion and our impulse. It's the part of, of our brain that makes us do things without thought. This is all subconscious thinking because that's in the in the frontal lobe, higher, higher order of our thinking. So in this lower order of our thinking, the animal part of us, you know, we have this reward pathway that rewards me to do things that are healthy for me, like sex, like food, like and food like good food, well, energy-dense food food like companionship and you know just getting up out of bed and doing something uh, you know th- th- that part of the brain the backstory beside behind that is that there's neurochemistry in the reward pathway there's dopamine primarily which is our neurochemical of desire of motivation of excitement anytime you think I want something, that's dopamine. When you have that feeling of want, you're experiencing dopamine. And, you know, addiction is just want unlimited, unlimited want. I just want, 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 want. Even if I actually wish I could stop wanting, I still want. That's the irony of addiction is the person is wishing they could stop wanting while the wanting is getting bigger and worse. Um, So that's dopamine. But there's also uh, endorphin and there's also serotonin. And these are, um, you know, endorphin is that comfortable enjoy experience you know so you can enjoy your food you get that feeling of fullness that comes from an endorphin experience and serotonin which is that connectedness you know the sleepy easy uncomfortable and safe feeling that you get when you eat a lot of carbs but then of course it goes away in 20 minutes that's the Mm -hmm. problem because it's too much all at once. So these are neurochemicals that if I could not access them, because let's say I had a cold and I don't smell because I have a cold, you know, the smell goes to that part of the brain and, and, oh, I smell something. Now I want that. That's the dopamine. Uh, So there's that connection. And then because I want that, I will go and make the effort to go and get it. If I have a cold and I don't have that dopamine push to do something, I don't want to get up. I'm, I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat. You know, it's, it's not going to taste good. I don't want to bother. So that's a sort of a essential piece to make me make the effort to do all those things I have to do. And we can, we can blast that thing out of existence, which is what addiction is. You know, it's making me want that whole bag of chips. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't stop at one or two because the neurobiology is so tampered with, I'm sure... I mean, you're you're coming from the keto community, and a lot of uh, the medical justification for keto is, you know, it's because we're trying to deal with the whole insulin diabetic disaster that food has caused. And really, if I can just just make it clear to people here that physicians especially physicians who are interested in low-carbon keto, are all about the physical manifestations of sugar and and high-carb. Addiction is really like the same phenomena, but it's happening in the brain. And instead of it being an insulin, uh, you know, uh, resistance, it's a dopamine resistance because of this blasting of our dopamine receptors and neuroadaption because we're living in this world of too much and we have to adapt to that. And the adaptation is not diabetes, it's addiction. Mm -hmm. See, but it's the same kind of thing that's happening in the brain. Yeah. 
So what I'm hearing is the solution to food addiction is to get a cold. Right now, I'm just kidding. Yeah, except the thing is, that's a, a joke. But actually, there is truth to that in the sense that some of the medication for food addiction, and I'm not going there with this because I don't think this is a good solution. I actually like the keto solution instead. But the, uh, the, the one of the, the treatments for food addiction is to um, use a drug that's called Contrave, which has naloxone in it or naltrexone in it. That's an anti-opiate. So mm. it's, it's uh, you know, when you smell something one of the things you're triggering is that endorphin receptor i want that feeling well i could literally cut that by taking that pill either through contrave or directly through naltrexone or uh, naloxone which is the same drug that you use for the opiate addict who is out on the street and you want to you know revive them and give them narcan same thing so we take it so that we don't get that endorphin rush with the smell or the whatever but the problem with that is I don't then get it for, I mean, I have that endorphin experience for a good reason. It's, you know, to have the pleasure of, I mean, endorphins, we need endorphins. They are our joy chemical. I have something bad that happens. And then at the end of that bad, I have a good cry. That's endorphin. I have a laugh. That's endorphin. I have a, well, you know, if it doesn't hurt me, it makes me stronger. You know, the bad has somehow moved into a positive. That's all endorphin. Do I want to take that away with a drug? Mm. No. What I'd rather do is, I mean, I like the nutritional approach, which is essentially the low-carb keto approach. So would taking that drug do something similar to taking uh, blood sugar medication? Will it actually make the condition worse yeah, in the long I, run? I think, it, I think it potentially can because yeah. every medication you put into your mouth, your body, uh, eventually you develop a tolerance. I mean, if it's a big blast, then it's an immediate tolerance. But even over time, you think about people who are on antidepressants, uh, you know, if they've been on them for 10 years, they're not on that same small dose that they started with. They're on a much higher dose, or now they're on two or three. Why? Not because they're getting sicker, but because they become tolerant to that dose, and you just have to keep upping the dose. So, uh, yeah, I think it's the same thing because ultimately, you give somebody insulin you're not actually treating the condition and mm -hmm. it's just prolonging the whole pro it's actually making that whole process worse and uh, i don't think anyone's actually followed to say that it's making it worse but it doesn't in the end help mm -hmm. it's kind of like listening to music at loud levels and you become deaf you wouldn't just increase the volume to get the same effect it would actually slowly decrease the volume so that would be the solution. Yeah, I like I like that analogy. I haven't heard that one. I like that analogy. Yeah, and then and then the sound is is decreased for when you really want to have an endorphin experience, like uh, you know a good laugh or just a sense of joy. Like people feel flat. Mm -hmm. and part of part of withdrawal is that feeling of how am I going to live without my tub of Haagen Dazs or my whatever? Well, because you're you know you're deaf now and mm -hmm. you know the, the good news is eventually you reclimatize but uh it takes a while yeah and that analogy was from dr jason fung who's in your area by the way so i want to give credit credit to him there are so many researched benefits to having good fat in your diet but there is just one little problem with all this healthy fat if you can't properly digest the fat in your diet chances are you won't feel that great and a lot of people lack the one key nutrient needed to digest fat. To really get the best results from any diet, whether it's carnivore, paleo, keto, or even vegan, I found there are three things that can really help optimize your results. First, enhance your digestion and elimination. Second, boost your cellular energy. And third, rev up your fat-burning metabolism. And one of the best aids to a ketogenic lifestyle that I've ever found comes from my friends over at Bioptimizers, and it's called Capex. What Capex does is three things. 
First, it breaks down the fats you eat into fatty acids using a proprietary lipase and dandelion extract blend. Most people aren't eating a lot more good fat in their diet these days. This means you're breaking down the dietary fat into usable energy and not storing it. Second, they transport those fatty acids into the muscles and in the liver. And they have several ingredients that dramatically increase the fatty acid oxidation inside your mitochondria, both in your muscles and liver. In other words, it's more fuel into your motor and more horsepower for your motor. If you take three to five capsules of K-Pax in the morning on an empty stomach, the energy is incredible. It feels like a cup of coffee and it lasts six to 10 hours and there's no nervous system stimulation. It works incredible as a pre-workout and even without caffeine. It's one of my go-tos when I'm in a fasted state. Now, it won't make up for bad eating or eating lots of excess calories, especially from processed foods and seed oils, but the research shows that it can raise metabolic rate and boost other fat loss hormones. I highly suggest trying it for yourself. And when you go to kenergize.com slash ketocamp, that's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E forward slash ketocamp, camp with a K, you'll automatically get 10% off any package of Capex with the coupon code KETOCAMP10. That is K-E-T-O-K-A-M-P-1-0. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. So you mentioned dopamine being resistant, and it's not just from the food, right? Because we are on social media all day. I was reading that the average person is scrolling on their phone enough times in one day to climb the Empire State Building. So we're getting all these likes and these hearts and these emails and these dings. So that also contributes to this resistance, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. It does. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's not just that, but they're also on dopamine, you know, like ADHD medication, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's yes, it's it's on many corners. So we want to turn the dial down. So we do that by changing our, our food uh, habits. So what what's the first start? Somebody, well, let's ask this question. How about if somebody is not even sure that they are a food addict? In your book, you have different stages of food addiction, and you have some questions to ask. Could you explain that so people could identify if they actually are dealing with this? Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, when we talk about addiction, it's essentially like diabetes, too. Like, I actually think they're very similar. Just one is body and one is brain. We say that it's a chronic progressive condition. And that means that uh, once you're sort of on that road, it can idle, it can slow down, but it's not like it goes away and you're, you start fresh again. Like, there, there, there's a kind of gradual neuroadaption it's really the brain just doing its job. It, you know, the brain is in an abnormal environment, the food environment or the drug environment, and it has to adapt, which is what brains do. They adapt, you know. And then once they've adapted, there's no going back. Uh, but when, and when you're living in a super toxic environment, you have to adapt extreme um, measures. So these are essentially the questions of am I an addict of any sort? But Remember how I said earlier on, just living in this food environment um, the, the way it is today, I think everybody is like, I guess we would say in that mild stage because you're, you're living in an environment where you're constantly, unless you step out by being like in a keto or low carb or raw or some kind of environment where you're outside of the processed world, you're being teased. It's like you may not be a smoker, but you're having a cigarette every few days. Like you're, you're not exactly a smoker, but you're on your way to becoming one. That would, that's, that's just living in this environment. 
If you're living in that environment to the point where all you do is eat that stuff and you're doing it two or three times a day, or now we're eating all the time, grazing, like literally all the time. There's no fasting of any sort. Uh, you know, some people, not even an hour goes by before they're eating yeah. something else. So, so it becomes like uh, ever more frequent. You know, the brain has this reward pathway, which is perfect with a certain amount, which I usually say is equivalent to maybe one glass of wine a day or one or two apples a day in terms of fruit or fructose, uh, you know, and when you're starting to get beyond that, you're stretching the parameters of what the brain can handle, and then it has to adapt differently. And one of the things that happens as things change is, like you said, the noise is getting flatter, you're getting deafer. Um, So you have to raise the noise up to be able to hear it. And in order to appreciate it, you have to turn it up even more. So essentially what's happening is this tolerance is happening. And as that tolerance happens, you have to do more work just to feel the same. And that means that there's more mental investment, there's more financial investment, there's more social investment, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go out tonight because I'm not feeling good. I'd rather sit at home and watch TV and eat. But So I'm going to cancel things. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't feel well today, so I'm not going to go into work and all that kind of stuff. So the substance starts to become not just a pleasurable activity, but almost not exactly an obsession, but it's becoming ever-present on the mind. And if I don't have it, as I become tolerant, I'm also becoming somewhat dependent. If I don't have it, then I feel worse than I did before when I didn't have it at all. So I'm now starting to develop a attachment, an emotional attachment, which starts off as a craving, but then eventually becomes an obsession. How will I get through the night without eating anything? How will I get through the night without having my bottle of wine or my cigarettes? When, you know, I'm so upset and I don't have any cigarettes. How will I survive? Mm-hmm. How will I get by without my tub of haagen I'm mentioning that one because that was one of my favorite. <laughs> Me too. And, yeah. And so the thought of not having it, it's like I won't be able to sleep. You know, so there's a dependency there and there's a, there's basically an obsession. And that's dopamine heightened. So, you know, how do I know that I'm a food addict? Well, is my uh, obsession excessive? seemingly obsessive excessive and obsessive that's the first thing and then the second thing is is as i'm moving into that tolerance which is the second thing i'm starting to cause impairment because it's neuroadaption it's also impairment out in the world i've canceled my job i've canceled my friends i don't want to go out and see them any you know all that kind of stuff. things are changing in my external environment which are usually impairments of some sort that's the third thing. I mean, we can look at the 20 questions of food addiction, but they all measure these parameters. And then the, the fourth thing is you realize that you're in trouble because you're now you've got diabetes and you, your weight is fluctuating all over the place and you, you, know, you lose weight and then you gain it back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you try to stop and you find that you can't or you can, but only for a while. And then because of the obsession and, and the uh, dependence, you keep slipping back. And so that, Basically, it ends up happening that you try to stop and you can't, and it just gets worse. So that whole phenomena just gets more and more obsessed in your mind. That's now your life. So early stage food addiction is um, I'm just eating too many chips, and I wish I could stop, and I'm on a diet, and oh well. But then that becomes more and more dominant until you're 300 pounds, and you still can't lose the weight. And, mm-hmm. and, and even though you've got a coach, and even though you're running like crazy, it still doesn't work because it's become so, it, it's progressive. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And Unfortunately, if you're going to a medical doctor, probably in the States, certainly here in Canada, because we're not using the word addiction, they're going to make suggestions like, well, just go on a diet or... Count your calories. Count your calories. And and because 
you know, when you're hungry, uh, this is one of the things I'm worried about with fasting, which I hope we can talk about. Mm-hmm. When you're hungry, your dopamine is even more alert. And so you have to be like really careful not to have like the heightened sugary, carby stuff because you're going to be more likely to become addicted. Mm-hmm. It's like the person who has bariatric surgery is more heightened to the effects of alcohol. So they're more likely to become alcoholic and similarly food addicted. So you have to be very careful if you're moving down this path of food addiction. Don't be walking into a regular place and counting your calories. It will just make it worse. Yeah, and it's a huge distraction to what really is important, which is cells, cell metabolism, all these hormones, this orchestra in the body. Yes, and you know what I see, you know what I see happening. I'm going to stop and let you ask your question, but I mm-hmm. just want to say this. One of the things I see happen a lot is people, you know, they get to 200 pounds and they think, okay, I've got to, I've got to go to the gym and I've got to work out. I got to work out really hard, like hour an hour or two, and it like that is like the the last thing that is useful to do, like the last thing. I agree with you. Hey, the body doesn't lose weight to get healthy. It gets, it gets healthy to lose weight. Exactly. I agree. Uh, let's talk about the fasting because see, here's how I teach it. And uh, you, could get, you could give me your feedback. So the way that I teach it, I have a new book coming out uh, called Keto, Keto Flex. It'll be out by the time this is out. But I have my four pillar approach and I don't focus on food addiction. That's your specialty. I'll send people to you. But the first pillar is teaching somebody who's a sugar burner, who's eating every two to three hours, carbohydrates, their cells are only burning glucose. And in in about 14 to 30 days to teach their body to become fat adapted. So we eat more healthy fats, we eliminate the snacking, and then we, I pair it with my second pillar that's intermittent fasting. But the way that I teach it is not to necessarily eat less, but to just eat less often and making sure you're eating plenty of protein during your eating window. So give me some feedback on how that would work with somebody who has a food addiction. Okay, so the thing that I've always found really interesting, when I started this whole thing, my this whole campaign, that like, you know, when I go out there and talk as much as I can about this stuff, keto did not exist. I mean, yes, we had Atkins, but it was, it was kind of in the back as people were laughing at him still. And the whole concept of low carb was just coming in on the scene. And as I saw that um, grow, I just kept thinking, they have stumbled onto the solution without even, real, like my solution, the food addiction solution, without even realizing it. And, you know, we, we would talk about how... In in my world, in the medical world, that, you know, what's the point of telling somebody to lose weight because they're only going to gain back more. So like, mm-hmm. let's just get them away from that. But the uh, weight plans were never low carb or keto. They were like stupid stuff, like just counting your calories, but eating, eating moderately all this crappy food, which inevitably what people would do is they would say, um, well, I can only eat so much. So it's going to be the, all that stuff I really like. And then they cut out all the good stuff, like the, the, the carbs and the fat, uh, and the, pardon me, the proteins and the fats and yep. the good veggies because they want to eat the other stuff, which just makes things worse. So I, I actually saw they've stumbled onto the solution, which is your first pillar, which is cut out the sugars, cut out the carbs, which is essentially cutting out the trigger, the, high, the most highly triggering of the uh, addiction. So from my vantage point, what we would teach is cut out the sugar, not because it was low carb or keto, but because that was the trigger. And when I realized, oh my God, you guys are saying the same thing that I am, but from a different point of view, from a different reason, that's why I could see why the low carb groups didn't crash and burn after five years, like so many food plans do. Like you never hear about so many of these. Uh, I mean, there may be a new name, like keto might be called something else in in five years from now, but it's going to be the same principle because you've actually stumbled onto a solution, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is to cut the cards out. Uh, and, and whatnot. Now, the next piece about intermittent fasting or fasting is 
it would depend on where that person with food addiction, how far they've gone and what their previous history is. So it, for, for you, I would like it if you could have a footnote somewhere or just it, it footnoted somewhere on a blog that mm -hmm. um, if you think you're food addicted, be aware of these pitfalls. So one of them being if they have a history of starving themselves because of you know, they, they've eaten and now they're going to starve themselves for three days to make up for it because you don't want that person to, you know, you, you've built a sort of um, connectedness, uh, an association of big binge now fast, mm -hmm. you know. As like a punishment, right? They use it as a punishment. Yes, 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 or just to try to make up for it, or they're mm -hmm. going to run like, you know, like four, four hours for the next day. And you don't want that sort of cyclical pattern. Like you have to sort of step out of that. And um, I suggest to people that um, if they have a strong history of food addiction, not a mild, because I think everybody is, like I said, living in today's society, but a stronger one with a long history of, um, like some people are like just volume addicts, like they need to eat a certain amount just because they need to. They don't even care what they're eating. It can be vegetables. That it be seen as a medical intervention. So there should be somebody that's following very closely so that they are not slipping into a pattern. And it might be that some people cannot do a strong fast like they might be able to do a window of 12 hours mm -hmm. maybe 14 hours but not not like 20 hours or something like that and i really uh, worry about uh like the two or three days or the two or three week fast for somebody like that because they might be just too damaged so just just you know a, a caveat to say um like if, if our talk today led to this, I'd be very happy, which would be like some kind of a footnote somewhere to say, if you think you're a food addict, we should have a further discussion about what that fast might look like. Or Absolutely. Is it a trigger? I love I love that addition. Absolutely. It will trigger that for me to include that because it's important. And I, I do mention things like, you know, if you have a history of uh, anorexia or eating disorders, this might not be a good idea for you to do fasting without a professional. But yeah, adding more, you know, notes like that, because fasting could be super healing, but it's a tool like any other tool could hurt you if you don't know how to use it, right? So I, I love that. We're on the same. I think there. it could really hurt if you don't like it can throw you back into a relapse. But I think if it's if it's done carefully, it can it might be fine. It might be fine. Yeah. So in in your book, you talk you show like a meal plan, and you emphasize a lot of protein. And I I know why I love protein. It helps activate those satiety hormones. So why do you talk about protein so much? Why are you a fan of protein? Um, I think it's more that I'm I'm not so much a fan of protein as I'm I'm a fan of lower carb. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So we want to have protein and fat to um, give satiety. And I always tell people, you know, if you're going to err on the side of sugar or fat, err on the side of fat. Eat mm -hmm. too much fat. Don't eat the sugar. I think that when I wrote that book, the whole keto thing was, I mean, it's really exploded in the last few years, right? And I think the understanding at that point was if you're low carb, you're probably higher protein. And that's mm -hmm. what I would have identified with. Now I would just say, uh, I, I think... If I can go as far as to say that keto light is low carb and then there's super keto, which is like just protein and fat or like 70% fat or something like that, mm -hmm. um, then uh, that whole platform is good. And if a person is eating carbs, which I would suggest that I don't have a problem with that as long as it's not processed carbs and it's, um, you know, on the glycemic index on the lower like side. Leafy greens, non-starchy vegetables sort of thing. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite ways to break a fast is with bone broth. Not just any bone broth you get at your grocery store. I'm talking about high quality, grass-fed, 
bone broth. The benefits to bone broth is a long list from glowing skin, stronger hair and nails, improved recovery from the amino acids that are in the broth, helping with digestion, energy, the immune system, helping with cravings, and also brain fog. Bone broth also helps to balance out your methionine to glycine ratios. A lot of people, especially those doing carnivore, who eat a lot of muscle meat, they get an imbalance of increased methionine levels. And what bone broth could do, it has high amounts of glycine, which helps balancing the ratio of methionine to glycine, which is important for methylation. If you're not familiar with methylation, think of that as the gears and switches of your cellular health. Lately, my go-to for bone broth has been the beauty and the broth. What I love about them is that there are no artificial flavors, no preservatives, no phthalates, no sugar or salt added. They are grass-fed, non-GMO, and it contains a high amount of collagen, which is so important for your gut and your skin and bone health. The cool thing about the Beauty and the Broth is that their packets are single serve and you could take them on the go wherever you go. When I'm traveling, when I'm on the go, I'll take a few packets of these bone broths with me. You just add hot water, boom, it's concentrated for you, which makes it easy to get your bone broth anywhere. They have affordable monthly, bi-weekly, and weekly subscription programs. Head over to thebeautyandthebroth.com to learn more about them. That is thebeautyandthebroth.com. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. In your book, there's a great chapter in there that I, lo- I love the title and it resonated with me. Called, it was called Switching Addictions and the Power of Substitution. So um, I'd love for you to share about that because you, you already mentioned a little bit about it, how you had your, the addicts that switched from one addict to the other. So talk about that chapter and then how do you put an end to that once and for all? Yeah. Okay. So it, it really, what it is, is just, you know, switching addictions is just switching because you have basically an impaired dopamine response, just like the diabetic has an impaired insulin response. That impaired dopamine response translates to, I have a flat dopamine. It doesn't respond anymore. It's like I'm deaf. Like you said, I love that analogy. And so I need the music to be louder now. And so if it's louder through food, great. If it's louder through uh, drugs and alcohol and Usually what I saw is that people, and this, this I found unbelievable, in the drug world, you know, there's a kind of hierarchy of what drugs are worse than others. And crystal meth, for example, is probably one of the most devastating of drugs. Like it'll, there's nobody who's a functional crystal meth addict for very long. You know, you can be a functional cocaine addict or an alcoholic for a number of years before you crash and burn and lose your job and home and all that. Crystal meth, you're done in a year or two. You're on the street or almost. So there's a, it's a pretty devastating disease. And I've heard people quit their crystal meth and then they, they write to me and say, I can't quit the sugar. It was actually harder to quit sugar than wow. meth, but it's so it's so ubiquitous and it's so small. It's like this sly little addiction that people like this little itch that people don't even realize. It's it's probably like cigarette smoking. A lot of people will say that's harder to quit than heroin. It's because it's there all the time. You're always used to having something in your mouth, either food or smoking, and it, it's not like the big. But it's the ongoing itch. And it's accepted socially as well. Yes, exactly. See, at least now with cigarettes, we've made it so that, you know, if I don't want you to smoke, you have to go outside on my deck. I would love to see the same thing with sugar. If you want that dessert, you got to go outside on the deck to eat it. There's a drug dealer at every corner, at the gas station, in the ice cream truck, at the Walgreens. I mean, it's crazy. Exactly, yeah. So the ease of, um, it's just that heightened experience because you want the noise to be, if not loud, at least loud enough. 
and that's all dopamine and that's all impaired mm-hmm. so how do we get out of that well the good news is i mean i guess it's the bad news in one way it doesn't take that long to make that neuroadaption you know they say in a habit takes three or four weeks to develop that's kind of what's happening the dopamine is taking a few weeks so if i'm if i'm using opiates on a daily basis it's only a few weeks and I'm habituated to the point where I'm sick when I don't use. If I start smoking cigarettes, it doesn't take long before I'm smoking a pack a day, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And being a previous smoker, it wouldn't even take that long. I haven't smoked for many years. But if I were to pick up again, I was a pack a day smoker at one point. I, it would probably take me a week and I'd be back to being a pack a day. Wow. Not the first day. It would probably be one, maybe yeah. two. But by a week, it would be a pack. That would happen with sugar too and that happens hmm drugs so so there's a you know the neuroadaption becomes quiet and it does so it, it takes about three or four weeks to, to get a robust impaired response you stop cold turkey these are the words of addiction not a diet not cessation um cold turkey you even said it yourself you said it, your your plan is stage one is two to four, four weeks four, 14 to 28 days yeah there you go that's about how long it takes to get out of that see you intuitively <laughs> you did a, a food addiction platform because it takes about four weeks to get out of that state so that now you're clean and now all you're dealing with are all the triggers which are psychological things people places things oh that smell oh i really like that smell even though i haven't had it for a year that smell of bread i mean it's still to this day the smell of bread is like ooh, just keep walking vera you know <laughs> but i don't want to go there because i know what, what, where that will take me um, and similarly with cues like you said it's everywhere pushes are everywhere yeah. it's dealing with all those cues this is addiction talk now how do i deal with that mm-hmm. yeah that's fascinating go ahead yeah and your work not just you but you with your keto camp and and uh, uh i mean i don't know again intuitively you've got an addiction tool there i uh, really just if you could just see what it is that you're actually doing so that you can be aware of it when you have a food addict in place. So like having that, having all this information, having the connection, you know, the daily connection with a coach or sponsor, having a a group, all that stuff is, is to buffer those pushers that are, you know, and you may not realize it because you're not focusing on the addiction piece, but you're still doing it by saying, we're going to eat keto. We're going to do a, you know, we're, we're following a food plan. We're doing whatever it is. You're still doing it. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I love that you're sharing that. Yeah, it's exactly what we do. And I have what's called my Keto Camp Academy. So we offer the accountability, the structure, the follow-up. So it's exactly what you're saying there, why it's so important. And it's, it's amazing how, you know, it's a convergence. We're using the same things. We're just using, I guess, a different rationale for it. Mm-hmm. But that's why your thing works. And that's why, I mean, I'm just so delighted to be that we're talking, not specifically you and I, but like I understand, you, yeah. Um, uh, perspectives are talking because we have a lot that we can give each other. And if you ever notice somebody in your world that keeps struggling, it's probably because, or it probably what would help them is to bring to light some of the addictive piece, and so that you can address that because it's yeah. already built into the system. So that's probably the guy who's not following up on the keto camp piece like yeah. the you know the accountability and the and the whatnot that's probably the guy who's trying to do it on his own very helpful for you to share that because that could help me communicate to that person and understand that person better so that's awesome have you ever read the book the um, psycho cybernetics no i have not 
so it's a oh, it's from like the 60s from dr maxwell maltz but in the book he he was a, a plastic surgeon and he decided to really study the subconscious mind and and this these paradigms and the self-image out of that world but in his research he found that uh, it was about 21 days on average after a person has gone through surgery whether it's like a nose surgery or ear surgery for them to accept that they have this new body 21 days so it kind of aligns with what you're saying you know three to four weeks so and then one of my favorite quotes, I'm going to share it with you to see if you've heard it before, but it's this, the chains of habits are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's very good. They're too exactly. weak to be felt. Yeah. It's exactly how, what you teach, right? Because it's this, it's very small and then, it cre- and then it gets stronger and then it's so hard to break it because it's built such a strong chain. You know, and we, we, what we say there is that addiction is cunning and baffling and that's the cunning baffling piece, right? Because exactly. it's this paradox. It's weak until it's too strong. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I knew you would love that one. So I would love to end the conversation with somebody who's listening to this or watching this right now. And they're like, that's me. Like, I didn't really realize that. But Dr. Vera, you're describing me. Where do I start right now? Um, Okay, well, I would say that you're already in the right place. So what you need to do is add in probably the psychological piece or add in why the psychology will help you so that you might parts that you might not be utilizing, you can utilize more. So what do I do? Like, first of all, you have to eat the right food. You have to stop the drug. And and there's a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if you get this. I don't know if you get this in your world, but in my world is, you know, if I can just figure it out, um, if I can just take care of my problem, then I would eat properly. Then I would do, I wouldn't smoke anymore. I wouldn't do my drugs anymore. I just got to take the medication and heal the depression and, or, you know, do the therapy and then I'll be able to do it. And, and the, the bottom line is you have to stop the drug first, whether it be opiate or alcohol or food. You have to, in order to have a clear head and let the brain neuro adapt back. So going back to the, uh, you know, two to four weeks or whatever it is, you got to stop. And uh, if you're trying to wait until something happens so that you can stop, it doesn't work that way. So number one, food, be clean. And uh, know that in that week or, or not week, that month, that first month, it is going to be difficult. No question that it will, will, will not be. It can be terrible. It can be maybe not as bad as you thought. But the fact that I have you, Ben, I have whoever it is that I can call daily or bitch to on a group somewhere or something just to get through that month. This isn't life. This is just this next month. Then at some point, we say in the the addiction world, wait until the miracle happens. At some point in the three or four weeks, it gets easier. And then it gets easier. And then it gets easier. And then by week four it's like oh man i wish i had known this it's i'm free i feel free Uh, and then you just have to protect yourself that you don't think you're so free that you can just go back and have a little bit hey i want to take a brief minute to share something with you for many years i used to take fish oil and recommend it and i see a lot of people in the keto space overdoing it with fish oil there are several reasons why I am not a fan of fish oil and why I stopped recommending it to all of my clients several years ago. Number one, 83% of fish oil is expected to be rancid on the shelf before you even consume it. There was also an experiment done. This study was called the Iowa Screening Experiment. This study showed it took 18 weeks to reverse the negative effect of the incorporation of EPA and DHA from fish oil into the cell membrane. Another study found that fish oil 
increased the risk of colon cancer in mice. Here's the quote. We found that mice developed deadly late-stage colon cancer when given high doses of fish oil. More importantly, with the increased inflammation, it only took four weeks for the tumors to develop. Simply put, I stopped taking it. I stopped recommending it. I use a plant-based omega from Pureform. This supplement is nitrogen infused, which preserves and protects it. It has the proper balance of omega-6 to omega-3. And most importantly, it gives you the derivatives, the building blocks, they're called parent essential oils, for you to produce your own EPA and DHA. If you wanna learn more about Pureform, head over to purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4, that is B-E-N, the number four, at checkout, and you'll get $4 off your capsules of Pureform. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's go back to this episode. That's really, really promising. Go ahead. Yeah, so the food is first, and then after that, it's all those other pieces, like the various pieces which are going to keep you clean. Whether it's a, a good meal plan, a sustainable one, uh, not like I'm going to you know, eat crazy like 800 calories or just meat when I want to eat other stuff but I want to lose weight. It has to be something that's sustainable because you will lose weight. Like the, and That's the other thing. Don't focus on weight. Focus mm-hmm. on clean eating and clean living and the weight will take care of itself. That's right. You're already doing all this. Totally. I agree with you 100%. You're so, that's the way the body works. That's exactly how the body works. So, so, yeah. So I would just say keep doing what you're doing here, but read my book and become more aware of the addiction piece so that you can make sure you're not, that you're working on that too, that you're keeping that ball up there in the air as well. And, uh, you know, one way to do that is you can go on my website. I have a, a Facebook group as well uh, that um, is a support group, free support group. There's there's actually a number of them now. It's very heartening to see this in this last few years where people are uh, just jumping on board to remind themselves that in this world there are food pushers and there is no shame in having food friends to buffer that. You know, we're, we're social creatures and that phrase, I love that, you know, that's too weak until it's too strong. That's social too. You know, somebody says something, you don't realize that it's infiltrating until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can have a little bit of, sh- they, they made it for me. Okay. It's Christmas, it's Easter. And then it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have a, a group where I'm going to and they're saying, I, I, I don't even go there. Yeah. Help it. What's your group called and, and what's your website? Uh, the group is called I'm Sweet Enough, Sugar-Free for Life. I love that. Yeah. Um, and uh, my website is uh, addictionsunplugged.com. Um, and I have a YouTube page too, just Vera Tarming. But uh, the, the, the Facebook group is alive, alive now, so I'm very excited about it. We have a Facebook, uh, pardon me, a, uh, a podcast as well. You were on it actually. Yeah, Molly and Clarissa, they do amazing jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm very pleased with food, that. Food Junkies podcast. That's right, Food yeah. Junkies podcast. So that's also uh, another way. And all that stuff is going to fit exactly what you're talking about because your story, I mean, you have your own story, and I mean, you fit right into this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just what we're doing is just flushing out, flushing out some of the addictive, the mental stuff. 
Amen. I agree. Yeah, I would start with your book, Food Junkies. We'll put a link for it uh, down below. Is the best place to get it on Amazon or your website? Where- yeah, yeah, Amazon. Amazon's the best place. Yeah, well, something that I think the audience would really love when they read your book is the inspirational stories that you share of other people who had at, uh, addictions and what they did to overcome it. There's a lot of testimonials in here. And, and then they're going to really understand how their body and their brain works. And I believe when you're competent, you become more confident, and then it's going to really help you along the way. Absolutely. So I, I want to acknowledge you, Dr. Vera, for the work that you're doing, your book, your podcast, your YouTube, your website, the Facebook group. We'll put all that down below. I, I love that we're speaking a similar language. You're doing such important work out there. And I really thank you for coming on the podcast and educating my community and myself today. I'm really grateful for you. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking. Like I said, I think we're on the same page. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Vera. Get her book, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. It's available on paperback, Kindle, and on audiobook. We'll drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. You're going to find that book to be so valuable. Like I said earlier, if you know somebody who has a food addiction, sugar addiction, carb addiction, any kind of addiction, send this podcast episode to them. You might make a big difference in their life just by copying the link and sending them a text and saying, hey, I think you'd find this interview very valuable and leave it at that. And maybe they'll listen to it and maybe they'll take action and maybe they'll change their life for the better just because you decided to text this to them. If this conversation was valuable to you, please leave it at rating and review on Apple Podcasts today. That really helps the show grow. Shoot me a follow on Instagram at the Benazadi. Check out our YouTube channel, Keto Camp on YouTube. We have over 122,000 subscribers on there. Uh, that's Camp with the K, Keto Camp on YouTube, and also Clubhouse at the Benazadi. Just a final reminder here: if you haven't picked up Keto Flex yet, my brand new book all about keto, fasting, carnivore, sleep, get it today over at ketoflexbook.com. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.